Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Operation Sequel. Today we're talking Final Fantasy X2. Final Fantasy X2 was developed by Square and published by Square in Japan and North American PAL regions it was Square Enix. This was directed by Motomo Toriyami, its artist was Shintaro Takai, the writer was Kazushige Nojima and Daisuke Watanabe, with the music composer being different this time, it's Noriyuki Matsueda and Takahito Aguchi. It was released in March of 2003 in Japan and then November of 2003 in North America and Australia and Europe had to wait till February of 2004 to get it. And then of course there was that kind of re-release that was done which was the international version and the final mission and that was re-released in Japan only in February until the remaster that came with the XX2 XD collection. And this time we actually do have a good blurb to go off of and that's going to be coming from the official strategy guide which I found in my closet and I didn't know I had. So here we go. For 1,000 years, the world of Spira was held in the grip of terror as the great monster Sin punished its citizens for using the forbidden machina in the Great Wars. To combat Sin, powerful summoners would make a pilgrimage to Xanarkand, the ruins of what was once the greatest city of Spira. Able to call and control the devastating manifestations of faith, Aeons, to battle, these summoners would sacrifice their lives and the life of a chosen guardian. This temporary defeat of Sin was called the Calm. Unfortunately, the Calm would end and Sin would eventually return. The cycle of life and death continued in Spira for untold generations until one summoner stood against the teachings of Yevon and sought a new means by which to defeat Sin permanently. The summoner's name was Yuna, and along with her guardians, went against the order of Yevon and fought enemies on all sides. In a last-ditch effort, Yuna and her guardians took on Sin and defeated it forever, bringing forth a time that would be referred to as the Eternal Calm. Although peace would finally last forever, Yuna was forced to say goodbye to somebody for whom she cared very much. The young man named Titus had been a dream of the faith, and when the faith were defeated during the attack on Sin, their dream faded. Yuna thought that the love of her life had vanished alongside the last remaining traces of Sin. But two years later, Riku appeared in Besaid village and delivered a sphere found by Kimari, Yuna's former guardian and the new elder of the Ronso tribe on Mount Gagazet. This sphere contained images of a young man who resembled Titus so closely that Yuna was compelled to leave Besaid and begin a new search for more spheres that might lead her to closer to the truth. This is her story. So yeah, sorry that that kind of goes over the events of Final Fantasy X. You know, it was only last week, so it's not like there's going to be any spoilers. This is the sequel. My history with this is actually very, very slight. I don't remember when I played it. It definitely wasn't as close to Final Fantasy X as it probably should have been. I do remember initially getting pushed off of this really hard. And I think that's actually a very common thing to happen when people come from 10 to 10-2 or X to X-2. I'll probably interchange those. And this time I wanted to make sure that I didn't bounce off it and immediately hate it. I tried to give every game whatever it needs to get going, if you know what I mean. Like I'm willing to extend it every opportunity to entertain me before I get all cynical. Because to be honest, I think being cynical is one of the worst things that could ever happen to you because it just ruins everything. So trying to come to this non-cynically was a little hard because this game is very, very different. One of the biggest differences is this is no longer like Final Fantasy X. 
they have kind of a hybrid version of the battle system, but it moves a lot quicker to the point where you can interrupt enemy actions before they've taken place. If, say, you know, one guy is running towards Yuna, if Riku's attack goes off at the right time, it will actually intercept and catch them. And if you manage to kill them, then you've avoided that attack. If not, then it just, you know, proceeds afterwards. So this moves at a blazingly fast pace in terms of battle. Number one would be there's a class system. And it's not the usual class system. It's quite different. So let me try to explain this. You have dress spheres, which are basically jobs that each person can become. Each person can become any except for one that's character specific to each person. And what you do is you lay these spheres on a garment grid. And the garment grid kind of looks like the grid system from 10, just massively scaled down. So you lay down these dress spheres on this grid and you choose what dress sphere you want to have as your default. And in the middle of battle, you can switch from say a thief to a black mage by moving along these predetermined lines on this dress sphere or garment grid, not dress sphere. The cool thing about garment grids is if you move between certain gates, that are between the lines, and this, I'm sorry, this is very hard to explain without a visual, then you can acquire abilities you wouldn't normally have. So let's say you're a, a samurai using a white mage garment grid. If you change classes enough to tick off all those gates, then now you can use full life and cura, whereas, you know, you wouldn't be able to otherwise. For most of the game, you are stuck with your single class, and I don't mean that as in the what you choose in the beginning is what you're going to use the rest of the game. I mean, if you are a white mage, that means you're going to stay as a white mage and use only white mage abilities until you switch jobs, whether in battle or out. Later on in the game, there are ways, uh, there are certain items, certain dress spheres that will let you use, say, as a white mage, use a berserker's abilities. But that doesn't happen until quite a ways into the game. So when you're a samurai, you're just using samurai skills. And that's pretty much everything battle related until we get into certain classes and things like that. Another huge change, like not even take a system and change a little bit, is this is now on a mission structure. And that takes some time to get used to, to be honest with you. You can go from area to area if you wish, like follow along a linear path and go to different areas. But you have a menu system and you choose what area you want to land in because you have flight right off the bat. Like you have your airship. Let's put it this way, there are hot spots that will show up of like, boom, there's a hot spot in Mount Gagazette. There's a hot spot on Mount Gagazette. There's a hot spot in Besaid Village. And basically what the hot spots are is the missions you need to uh, complete in order to continue on with the story. Whereas if you decide to go to a place that isn't a hot spot, there are side quests and things for you to do there depending on what chapter it is. And there is a chapter system to this, there's chapters one through five. So if you go to Besaid Village on chapter one, it will be different than if you went there on chapter three, not in terms of like locations or anything, but just in terms of what's going on, what's accessible, you know, what side quests pop up. Thank you, Craig. Along with this chapter progression is also a story percentage progression. Now, what this affects is it'll ultimately affect what ending you get. There aren't so much three different endings as much as there are three separate parts to the ending. So if you only, if you have under 50%, let's say you'll get ending part one, which is an ending. It, it's not going to leave you with metaphorical blue balls. It's just 
you only get that part. Whereas if you get, say, 70%, you get part one and two as your ending, and, you know, at 100%, you get all three parts. This time, I got 70%, so I got part one and two. I didn't feel like doing everything required to go for part three. And just, just for reference, I was level 49, 50, and 50 for Yuna, Riku, and Pain this time. I did jump around a bunch of classes because you gain AP in this game. And, you know, you'll have a list of abilities that you can choose to learn towards as soon as you switch to, say, you know, trainer. You can choose, okay, I want the AP to go to this ability. And when you learn that ability, it could open up more abilities. But, you know, you'll, you'll be playing with them for quite a while in order to master it. One of the problems I have with this, not the only problem, one of the problems I have is you get nothing for mastering a job. Not like Final Fantasy V or even Tactics where you can take bits and pieces of other jobs and combine them all into one. You get nothing for mastering a job other than all the abilities being unlocked. And I don't really like that because you want to try out all these different classes and you want some incentive to not just pick one and be done. Now that's not saying there are no incentives because later on in the game when you get the special items or the accessories and garment grids that allow you to basically dual class then your work that's done in multiple classes will, you know, be worth it. It's just a very long time. And it kind of factors into what I think about this game. This game is not meant to be played on New Game. This game feels like it's meant to be played on New Game Plus. So your first dry run through it isn't going to be as satisfying as a New Game Plus run. So it's almost one of those games where you'll play it, you'll finish it, you'll let it sit, you know, you do your New Game Plus save. Then when you come back in New Game Plus, things feel more full and you have a more enjoyable experience. Now, like I said, along with the international version and Final Battle, some new things came along with those in mainly the Fiend Arena end of things. So you can capture creatures and it's done in kind of a Pokemon way. It's, it's very random unless you get certain spheres. You can also enter uh, arenas. Now, these arena battles are really nice because if you, let's say, have been doing nothing but hotspot missions and you have gone to the point where you're just having a really tough time doing anything because you've progressed that far in the game, they make a really nice place to just take a break, level up, get some more abilities, then catch back up to where you are. Because other than that, that would be really tedious to go find a place where your level lets you kill a whole bunch of things and you can move on. That's pretty much it for anything I really want to talk about based on the mechanics of things. It's kind of the Final Fantasy X turbo mode in the battle. And outside of the battle, it's kind of like mixing Final Fantasy V, Final Fantasy X, and Final Fantasy XII, if you know what I mean. So down to the brass nuts of what I want to talk about. And that's the story. Not going to give away the story or anything. I just... The story as a whole. So as soon as you boot up the game, you get the what can I do for you music video and when I was younger and I was coming off of probably replaying Final Fantasy X for the second time that really hit me hard because that is such a tonal shift in what Final Fantasy X was all the way down to even the characters like Yuna doesn't seem to be the same person that she was and I, that set the mood for me to just not like this game at all so this time I tried my best to not let that affect me and uh, to be honest younger me was kind of dumb because I should have just let it ride for a bit. Because it doesn't take very long for them to actually set into motion. No, that wasn't Yuna. 
no, that isn't Tidus. It's just kind of a coincidence for like 80% of the story. And then it finally goes into why. But that is not leading with your best foot. Especially if you're coming from 10. If you're coming just from, let's say, Final Fantasy VIII, then I don't see how you'd have any problems with it at all. Although I don't know why you'd play 10 2 before you'd play 10. And I can understand a company that worked on 10, and it's a very emotional game, and I'm sure they put a lot of their heart into it, like most programmers and designers and developers and directors, they all do that. But 10 struck me as a very emotional game, as I'm sure you've heard on the last one. I can see them wanting to just have a fun time with these characters that they created. And that, for a good 70% of the game, that's what this is. It's kind of... Square goofing off, having fun, Final Fantasy X, Charlie's Angels Edition. And the game itself plays like that for a long time, but you have these really weird moments where they switch back into Final Fantasy gear mode. Where, like, you'll have scenes where, um, if you know, if you know the game, where Yuna and, well, not Yuna, Len finds what you think is Titus at the time, and, you know, you don't know it's Shuyin yet, they have a moment where they get shot together. And it's a very touching moment that is incredibly out of place in, in this game. And it's almost like they had an internal struggle of some people saying, no, let's make it fun, light, and breezy. And other people saying, no, but it's Final Fantasy. It's supposed to have this kind of story. And the problem is it works both ways, but not really together. Like if they had gone just the fun route, it would have been a light, breezy, fun Final Fantasy. If they had gone, uh, let's call it the Pathos route, it could have been a very good story. And I'm willing to say, barring some big sections, it is a good story. It's a nice coda on the end of Final Fantasy X. You know what this is? This is kind of Final Fantasy The After Years writ large. Like instead of it being a DLC, it being a whole game with that kind of opposition to each other in the way it works, they try their best to meld it, to be fair to them. But I found myself way more into the pathos end of things than the fun end of things. Not that the fun end of things was bad. I mean, yeah, it does get really silly and really goofy, and I'm glad I'm secure enough to where if I was a teenager playing this, I'd be really embarrassed if, if people walked in at certain scenes just because, wow, this is really stupid. Like, generally, anything involving brother is really, really stupid. Not in the funny way, just in the annoying way. It's really hard to talk about this game, because there are some definite lows and some definite highs. Um, one of the biggest highs that I really liked was when you first start the game and you're revisiting all these places, like the Meehan High Road and Bevel and Sanark and all the really cool places from 10. Yuna gives this nice little, I guess, thoughts on the place and what's happened in the meantime, because this place takes place two years after the end of 10. But she gives these kind of musings on the place, remembering certain things and talking about what's changed when you go to new, every new place for the first time. That was really interesting. I really liked that. But then you have them doing really dumb stuff later on. So the story's kind of a mixed bag on this, and... That's really the only mixed bag part of this. Taking the story out of it, the gameplay is fantastic. It is so fast. It, there is so much you can do with this that it works phenomenally. And I imagine that's why they made Last Mission, because Last Mission is basically uh, Final Fantasy X light roguelike elements, Chrysler Tower kind of thing. 
I think it was the Chrysler building in Parasite Eve, but it's been a long time. But I'm pretty sure that was it. And that's, let's, let's be fair, it's not to say all the gameplay things work out great. Like I said, I have a problem with, you know, once you master Just Fear, but that's not that big a complaint. The platforming gets old pretty fast. There are some light platforming. You could say it's basically hold circle to jump off a cliff or hold circle to climb up a cliff, you know, that sort of thing. That just got old. The only thing gameplay-wise that really irked me this time is that encounter rate is absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, I'm coming from like even the older ones. This is worse than that. It felt like, I don't have any scientific data to prove it. I do believe since these locations are so small and they're not interconnected, I think they upped the encounter rate for each area. I mean, sometimes it was battle, two steps later battle, two steps later battle. And luckily, escaping is very easy in this. It's very quick. You're in, you're out. But it was very annoying when you're trying to do stuff or get to the next story bit to be constantly interrupted by things. One story thing I would like to talk about is, or as a good example of what I'm talking about, you know, Yuna for the first time sees a dark Aeon and it's Bahamut and you have to kill it. And it's kind of a solemn moment. But then after that, they're dancing around and doing their YRP thing and woohoo, go goings. It's like, ah, guys, just give it time to breathe. I mean, I know I've had this complaint before, but you know, give these moments time to breathe because we for the most part, didn't come here for that kind of story. We came here because, you know, we were interested in what happened after 10. And if you came here because you're interested in what happens after 10, it's, again, it's a mixed bag. Like, you find out what happens to people like Waka and Lulu and Kamari, and, well, you know what happens to Auron. And, yes, even one of the endings has to do with Titus. But... It's not very fulfilling in that regard, but I don't know what else they could have done. Like, with Waka and Lulu, what, what else are they going to do with them? I mean, and there's that tightrope again. You don't want to have a game about the same characters again, which is why I'm guessing they added pain. But on the second hand, that's why you're making a sequel to something. So that's a terrible tightrope. I almost wish this would have been Final Fantasy XI with new characters, but keep everything else the same, just make all new characters, than it being a sequel to Final Fantasy X, because it's the tightrope that's killing them. They're, they're getting all tangled up in it. On the character end of things, once you get past that initial music video, I like the way Yuna is changed, because you couldn't go through something like Final Fantasy X and be the exact same person you were, that'd be stupid. And they've done a really good job of having her mature a little bit in some regards, whereas Riku is... She's just Riku. You know, she's still bubbly, airheaded, and, well, she's just Riku. I like Pain quite a bit. She kind of takes over the Arnon role in this. But the problem is they don't develop her a lot. Well, until the end of the game. Once you get to Chapter 5, you start to learn things about Pain where she becomes a more interesting character. Otherwise, she's just kind of your Arnon without the backstory. She's just kind of grumpy, and she's the gruff one, and that's that. So even on the character front, there's not much to talk about in terms of, you know, what's interesting or what they've changed. Yuna's grown up, grown up a bit, and I like that because I may have said it on 10, I can't remember right now, but Yuna is probably my favorite Final Fantasy heroine. I just like her personality, I like the way she views things, It's she, I, I really clicked with Yuna. The fact that they let her grow up a little bit is nice. And man, I'm really finding it hard to talk about this game. 
I actually struggled whether or not to even do this one because I, I'm so split down the middle on this. It's ridiculous. The gameplay side is great, like I said, and the story side is okay. Final Fantasy X 2 did more than anything was make me wish that we had another game set in Spira. You don't even have to have the same characters, but I like that world. It was very nice to see this world again. And you, you see the world move on. Not like in the gunslinger sense, but it, it's changed. And I like that. I mean, all, all the incidental characters like, you know, Owaka and, and the one guy that's voiced by Robin in Teen Titans. You know, they're all here still. And props to them for getting the voice crew back together. That's pretty cool. But as an adult playing this, this game is 80% stupid. The problem is it's 80% stupid on the top layer. And then on this cake, there is so many layers of good, enjoyable gameplay that it sits atop of. Like even the Fiend Arena, right? You know, you, you have these little goofy stories about when you level up your fiends that you've been using in the arena. They have each one has a separate story. And sometimes it'll be a mini game. Sometimes it'll just be a scene. Sometimes you'll get an item. Sometimes you'll get uh, something really good, like you've unlocked a Dark Aeon, which, by the way, having no summons in this game didn't really irk me all that much. <laughs> um, just because, you know, they used the Final Fantasy X summons against the like, guy. Ah, I've seen those. It's fine. But having them as boss fights was pretty cool, especially if you didn't do that stuff in, you know, the international version 10 where you go fight all the dark. Anyway, so I don't know where to come down on this, to be honest with you. Play it if you enjoy a really good job system. Play it if you enjoy an RPG that just packs everything to the gills with mini games. Like there are so many mini games in this. Sphere Break not being one of the good ones, more being one of the tiring ones. I mean, you enjoy it at first, but then it's, ugh, this is just not very much fun. Play it if you want to see familiar characters and new settings. Don't play it if you want an end to their story. Because, uh, spoiler warnings here, okay? The endings to Final Fantasy X2, the first one is good. Tidus stays dead, for lack of a better term. But once you get past that, Tidus comes back. And I don't think that's a good way to end this duology because that's what made 10 very powerful was Titus just poofs at the end i it almost had the feeling of fan fiction granted it was with very high quality very expensive cg fan fiction but that's kind of what it felt like so even then you just end up feeling a little unsatisfied now to be fair there's that little boy part of me that was just happy to see yuna and Titus together because that's just nice but once you stop and think about it, it kind of pulls a lot of the pathos out of Final Fantasy X when that happens. So even the story is kind of just bleh. So you know what? You're going to get it for free when you buy Final Fantasy X HD. You might as well give it a shot. This has got to be the weirdest episode of Operation Sequel just because I have no idea what to say or where to start. Because there's so much going on with this, so much conflicting feelings about this game. I can see why it's kind of just been left as one of the worst Final Fantasy games. But on the other hand, it has a great combat system and a great job system. So yeah, my verdict for this is go play it yourself and make up your own mind because I can't even make up my mind. So sorry if this is a bit of a dud episode, just can't quite get it together on this game more importantly next episode is final fantasy 12 
and I will be playing the Zodiac Age version of it. So I will be playing the PS4 version, so I'll get the nice full experience of Final Fantasy XII. And that's a game I don't have a lot of history with either. So I'm very much looking forward to playing it. Um, I had thought about Final Fantasy XI, to be honest with you. And the best I can do is I played it when it was new. I played it on PS2. I had a lot of fun with it. I was an elf. I sided with Sanadoria. I think that was the name of it. And I played as a monk and then a samurai and then a red mage and a bunch of other stuff. I remember making a lot of roasted corn with crystals. And that's really all I can say about Final Fantasy XI. I remember it being a fun MMO at the time that World of Warcraft just completely obliterated. And that's my memories of XI, so I, I don't know what I can, else I can say about it. And I don't really want to play it now. Whoo, boy, that'd be like going back to PSO. So, yeah, it's straight on to twelve. And we will catch you next time on 12, where hopefully we won't make a complete utter mess of this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you stuck with this, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>